while we try to talk 3.30 off the train track, here's another great song by Katami and Richo and Sistock. But before we get into it, don't forget there'll be no official show on July the 4th. Anyway, this one's called Big Mouth. Take it away, Guitar Man. Bloody hell, 3.30... Wi-Fi. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Found a hot spot. We're going to miss 3.30. That was gay. Here lies 3.30. <laughs> Let's get this thing rolling. It's 11.17 p.m. Central Standard Time. June 27, 2009, and once again, it's time for TIT Radio. Parental guidance is suggested. All right, welcome, hackers, crackers, and script kitties. This is TIT Radio, the only show on Hacker Public Radio with super cow powers. Let's meet our round table of TITs. Art V61. How you doing, everybody? Azmuth. Yeah, you should have separated us. Nobody will tell the difference. <laughs> Was that Art or Azmuth? <laughs> Klaatu Hello everyone Shit, there's three of them And that Peter J64 <laughs> Hey, how's it doing? 330 Hello Zoke Hey And is the missus there with you? I'm here, but I'm just an innocent bystander tonight Okay She didn't do her homework Oh no Just a quick announcement uh, from the IRC earlier today Web mentioned that uh, there's a project called Basket Notepads. I don't know if you guys know about it. It's, uh, it's like a note-taking app. Well, they need some developers, or this project may vanish. So, Wait, Which app is this? I, I, it's called I Basket Notepads. I'll throw it in the air. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. It's a yeah, KD it's, one, isn't it's, it? I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, they, they it? need some developers that. bad, or it's going to vanish. What is it written in? Do you know? Does it say? I'm not sure. I just got oh, the link and. I see it. Yeah. But I guess they're still using, you know, the the old QT, where it's compatible with KDE 3.5. Uh-huh. So they need to convert it to KDE 4. Mhm. But I'm not sure if the lead developer is gonna give it up, or he just needs help. I'm not sure. But if anybody's interested, check it out. All right. Who wants to kick it off? Uh, Didn't you forget 3:30? No. Did you say him? He was right after yeah. you. Ah, sorry. I thought that you missed you. You should have missed I was going to say, that's we're catching something on. We've got to find out who the sheriff is. Oh, that's right. You know what? Maybe I should just be the sheriff, because I have a feeling there's going to be, like, the palm against Aussie, and it's just going to be a feud all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, just, I'll be the sheriff. I don't trust you guys. Uh. Oh, come on. You don't trust the evil one? Well, plus I found out that that wheel that I spin is rigged. It's not, is it? Yeah, no. it's, it's rigged. BSD Bob, he's the one that put it I together. I think the guy spinning it is rigged. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Art, you want to start off? Oh, sure, why not? I have today, uh, actually the other day, I downloaded a couple of live CDs. I was kind of searching around for more things to put on my computers. And I came across Mepis Anti-X, it's called. It's got Fluxbox on it. It's got, I mean, they, they build this thing as something uh, that a Vista or a uh, XP user could fall right into. I, I mean, it really is a neat, neat distro. Uh, I would say it's better than Mint. Uh, I mean, it, it runs on Fluxbox. It uh, has a beautiful screen view when you load it up, and it's like 468 megs 
DVD. It's uh, it's quite a nice. It's got IRSSI on it with screen and everything built right in it. How do you spell that so I can find it? It's Mepis. Mepis Anti X. A N T I X. You get it to uh, DistroWatch, uh, you'll find it in there. But it's also for older hardware. They bill it as because of the flux box and uh, some of the other things that are on it. I mean, they they say it'll work with uh, a 64 mega RAM. I mean, it's really, uh, like I said, it's quite a, quite a, it'll work on a Pentium 2. I mean, this is the way they're billing it. Plus, it also has support for uh, uh, webcams and media players, different media players in it. I'm actually thinking about trying this on my Triple E. So this thing is going to run on a, a P2 266 megahertz with what a mere 64 mega RAM. Yeah, that's what they're saying. That's only what they're saying. I, with it. I mean, I have it running on a, uh, a Pentium 3700. Uh, the only thing they do say that it doesn't work on K5 and K6 AMD processors. I don't know why, but uh, it's, it's uh, it uses you know, the OI8686 I mean, kernel. The, that's why. Because uh, I just read that. It's running two seven, I think. Right, uh, two. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, two point six two seven kernel. And what else? Um, that's a lot of. I mean, I can't believe the applications that are that come in this out of the box. It's it's. <laughs> fascinating to see what's in this thing as far as uh, you know things you get I mean it's got one links in it if you want to use command line you don't have to put any of this stuff in it's got the that RSS atom reader you know it's set up for a bit torrent and I'm really I'm surprised at the the things that it has in it hey Art uh, what was yeah. the size of the, um, the ISO download do you remember yeah, it was 468 meg. Nice. But otherwise, I think uh, people should take a look at this. This might be a good distro for people to put on somebody's computer to really let them check out Linux. Because um, it's, you know, it's a good cross between Windows and Linux, I think. it's. As, I mean, I've seen many, many distros that I went through. You know, I'm still going through, I should say. Uh, but this, this one really looks sharp. Anybody got any comments? Um, what about like multimedia support and stuff like that out of the box? Like if I just gave this to a friend, could they pop it in their computer and kind of feel like they were computing like normal, or do I need to sit there and install it with them and install MV3 support and all that other good stuff? No, but it looks this. I mean, it's got DVD player support in it. Uh, it's got also it's got um, uh, stream tuner in it. It's got Ripper in it. Yeah, I mean, it's all set up. You know, right out of the box. I'm, I'm really. I mean, I've only played with this thing for a little bit, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. Of course, I'm a you know noob, so I mean, it's even got um, peripherals for a scanner, and you know what I mean, in within the program. Wow, nice. Yeah, I, I, I really. Uh, I'm going to try this on my AAA. I'm going to give it a run because I got Mint running off a uh, SD card right now, and I'm going to wipe the applets on and see how it runs because uh, I like it. I mean, it's. Nice. It's a nice layout right out of the box. Like I said, you don't have to do anything as far as uh, configuring it, I don't believe. Yeah, I don't know if it was my connection or yours, but you were cutting out. But what desktop did you say was default? Fluxbox. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, uh, run, and it's run in Fluxbox. You can also... Go ahead. Well, I was looking at the uh, wiki page, and it's showing ICE Window Manager. It's got... Uh, I mean, you can... Yeah, you can run ICE WM, yeah. That comes with Fluxbox 1.1.1. That's the latest. You know, and, and apparently... Um, they talk about this guy, Anti, who was a Brit living and working last 19 years in in Greece, in, uh, I don't know, it's uh, Thessaloniki or something. It's supposed to be the second largest city in Greece. And basically this thing is a remastered Mepis. Well, it looks nice. Screenshots. Like I said, it's, yeah, it's really, uh, I, I'm surprised. What do you mean by it includes the SIDAC um, meta installer? Does anyone know what that is? Is that something to do with Debian SID, that SIDIX or something? Yeah, as far as I know, Mepis uses a, a hybrid of both uh, Ubuntu and Debian repositories for its package management. Um, and so I don't, I don't know exactly what the meta installer is, but I mean that's, that's probably why it mentions that. It's probably for the meta packages and things like that. I would imagine from SIDIX. Uh, fair enough. Well, let us know in two weeks how it works. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, and anybody, you know, want to throw some at something that's on try, this is definitely one for the look at. Anything else before we move on? Okay, that's it for me. All right, Peter. Peter no, J. That's about it for me. Peter J. Uh, it sounds so official. Um, just to clarify something uh, from our previous tit was that I, I was talking about the um, Dello board and I said about the F keys. Well, as it turned out, I went into the BIOS and you can change that. So the F1 to F12 key becomes the number one key and then you have to hit the function keys to use the multimedia keys, which is a hell of a lot better. So I just thought I'd better clarify that. Um, now, also, I mentioned Celestia, and I was in the chat, and Cafe Ninja had just listened to the episode, and he, he said, hey, Peter, you talked about Celestia. Have you heard of Stellarium? And I actually had used Stellarium quite a few years ago, but um, I decided to go and revisit it and have another look at it, and what I saw, I was really happy with. Now, Stellarium is an actual planetarium. Um, when you install it, you're going to get something in the range of over 600,000 stars. Uh, there's extra catalogues available which will get you up to over 210 million stars, which I would imagine would take most people's lifetime to go and look at. In actual fact, if you did the match, you probably couldn't look at all that. But, um, I mean, it's got... it's got a few features that probably set it apart from a normal like K stars like when you look at K stars and this thing it's a um, it, it's a completely different kettle of fish it, it's so polished it if you say take a look at um, Jupiter then you can hit your page in key where you'll actually zoom right into Jupiter where you'll see and I take it it's using the same texture maps as Celestia used where you'll get, um, you know, a really good close-up view of what what um, Jupiter or Saturn and all them look like through the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, it also supports things like if you do have a projector and you're rich enough to own your own dome, 
you can actually do a uh, spheric mirror projection and you can you know shine this up on your on your dome and it's just like going to a real planetarium um, now I also alluded to the fact that I thought Celestia you could use the um, two line elements data that you can get from uh, there's heaps of them online where you can go and get them where it it will then map in real time satellites etc now I'm still not sure whether Celestia did that um, but Stellarium definitely does it so you can go and, and um, get all these satellite plugins and the TLE data and you can have uh, as you're looking in the night sky you can have you know it'll show you where a satellite's going to zoom overhead the other thing with it too is if you're like me and you sort of run out of things to look at then you just purely hit the F3 key which is a search function and you can just type a letter like say um, well let's let's talk about Betelgeuse which I don't know if everyone's heard but Betelgeuse is a star I'm not even quite sure don't how far away it is but <laughs> yes yeah but anyway from what I understand with that star that I won't say the name again it's something like the eighth brightest um, star in the in the night sky and it has actually shrunk around 15% in the last 15 years and astronomers are getting really excited because they think this actually could be about to go supernova but anyway something like that you know you hear things like this on the news what do you do you you jump on stellarium and you go straight and you look it up anyway i've had a lot of fun playing with it and anyone who's interested in that sort of stuff uh, should go and grab it it's available in in most of the repos i think you'll find it's really good fun yeah, that one night you told me about it, um, I tried it on Fedora, and it ran pretty good with that 3100 Intel chipset. Yeah, it's not... I, I don't think... It does use OpenGL, I think, but it, it's certainly not uh, a, a real intensive application. I'm sure that if you can run uh, Fusion, you'll have absolutely no trouble running this. Peter, did you say there's a big difference between that and Celestia? Well, yes, yeah, Celestia, um, how would you describe it? Celestia is more of, I, I wouldn't call Celestia a planetarium. It's, well, actually, they say it, it's a space simulation, whereas Stellarium is what you'd call a planetarium, where all it's doing is showing you points of light. You can go sit on your veranda with your laptop, and you can look out at the stars, or you can look on your computer screen, and as long as you tell it you'll face in the exact same direction, you'll see exactly what's in the night sky. And what you can do then is, is just click on this point of light and it, it will tell you exactly the name of it, how far it is from Earth, how, what uh, you know magnitude of, of light amplification it is, how far away it is, all that sort of stuff. So what it does is it's virtually telling you what, you can, what you're looking at. But also, uh, if you're looking at all the constellations and stuff like that, it, um, you know, it, it'll map them out for you so you can say, okay, there's, I don't know, Scorpio or whatever, Sagittarius, anything like that that happens to be visible at that particular time of night. Uh, it's, it's a real good thing, I think especially that's, if you've I got use young that. kids. Yeah, sorry, Art. Why, they don't want to go out and look at the stars anymore. Well, in actual fact, once you sit inside and look at your bloody laptop, it's, you're a bit disappointed when you go outside because you get a much better view on your laptop. 
Like if, if you do install it, yeah, say that's the one you can turn, right? You can. Yeah, you can you can spin around, do like you can just point anywhere, and you can get rid of the horizon and down like that stars that you couldn't obviously see because they would be under your feet if you'd like. But the the beauty of it is to sit out there with your kids on the veranda, and you know, look, you you can quite frequently tell Mars because it's quite orange, and um, you know, you can you can point it out to your kids, and then you can jump on uh, Stellarium and, and zoom right in and, and show them a good picture of what, what it looks like and fire up Celestia as well. A beautiful application when you look at the, um, the screenshots of it. Where do you hear this application? What do you here? need to run it, Peter? Well, uh, well, this particular one, like I said, uh, I've used it many years ago but have forgotten all about it. And Cafe Ninja uh, reminded me about it because... Um, he heard me talking about Celestia last week. Uh, now, I can't remember what I heard about Celestia because I've used that for as long as I've used Linux. Yeah, it's quite nice. I, I like the looks of this. Yeah. Um, I just posted three screenshots in there that I used, was playing with the other night. I mean, you only have to have just the slightest bit of interest, interest in astronomy and uh, you can waste hours on those two programs. The only other thing I... I one day I'd like to like um, buy a telescope and a motorised one. And now this says that you can hook a telescope up to it. Now K-Stars, when I looked at it, you go in and in the configuration in K-Stars it tells you it lists uh, a lot of telescopes that it supports. So when you plug one in, then you just go to a list and say, OK, this is the one I've bought. But in the uh, readme, it says it does support telescopes but I couldn't find anywhere in any configuration uh, anything about telescopes which makes me wonder whether maybe that's only in the Windows version or so if, if you're going to go and buy a telescope and to use with Stellarium I, I would certainly investigate that a fair bit more Yeah that sounds like when you go to the planetarium here like I was talking to you on IRC about and you sit in a planetarium and you look up in that dome and they, they go, you know, they move all around and they, they draw out the constellations and it, it's it's really neat. Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, this is the same. You, you can uh, fast-forward time. You can, you know, go through and you can look at uh, uh, the next eclipse as it happens or find out when it's going to happen and, and all that sort of stuff. And Ping Jockey just said that it, it works like a champ on his EE PC, so that's... Um, that What's the minimum you. requirements to run it, Peter, you know? Uh, yeah, I did read that, Art, but it, it would be pretty minimal these days, I think. As long as your graphics card can do OpenGL, I think you wouldn't have any uh, problems with it. Yeah, I haven't got that right at the moment. And from what I understand, this is actually used in in planetariums around the world, so... That would give you an idea of how good it is. Yeah, it's pretty neat. When you first start to program, you're you're like on the ground. You can see grass and everything. Yeah, and I, I think you can actually go and take pictures. You know, you do the pictures all around your house, all, all around the area that you're in, and then you can actually uh, use them in the program. So once you've set your location, then you could use your own um, front yard as, you know, that the backdrop or the 
the horizon, oh, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. I'm just afraid I'm going to lose it like 10 hours with this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? And if if you get the, uh, is it the user's guide? The bottom of the user's guide, I think, that gives you a lot of suggestions of things to go and look at. So, you know, the simple thing, hit F3, type in, say, uh, Jupiter, uh, hit the space bar to center on Jupiter, and then if you hit your page up key, you will zoom right in until you can see the rings and a hell of a lot more than you would ever see with your naked eye or the best binoculars you're ever going to buy. But you can zoom right in and just have a look at um, the surface of Mars. So it really does take planetariums to the whole next level. So anything else on this one? No, I'm happy. All right. You want to go next, Klaatu? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm hoping... No, I'm not. I, I just heard Art. It's okay. I thought Art might be mentioning this one, but um, he didn't. So, uh, Yeah, so there's a program that I've talked about before, but it's, it's being developed a lot, more, a lot lately. It's called SBO... Uh, PKG. It's written by Chess Griffin, formerly of the Linux Reality Podcast. And uh, if you're a Slackware user, this is a really, really cool application. It's basically a a local front end for the very popular slackbuilds.org uh, website. So Slackbuilds is a sort of a community-driven website of all uh, of a, lot, a whole bunch of packages. Uh, Slackware packages kind of set up for an easy, quick install on your Slackware box. And SBO PKG will rsync a list of all the packages available on on Slack builds onto your local machine. You can browse through them. The new version of SBO PKG has a queue, so you can queue all the ones that you want to get installed in the order that they need to be installed in order to, you know, satisfy all the dependencies and stuff like that. And then you simply issue a command, and it goes and fetches them from the from the website. It builds the packages, and it installs the uh, the packages, and you're done. It's a really cool little application, and really small, you know, easy to compile, easy to use. It's really cool. And you can find it at sbopkg.org, I think it is. Yeah, I must admit, Clark, too, that um, because of chess, it's probably one of the reasons I stuck with Slackware. Like... Um at, at first, it was good to, when I installed Slackware, got to learn it by actually building packages from source, etc. But yeah. after a while, sometimes you just want to get something and install it and get into it, and you didn't want to stuff it. Now, of course, you still have to muck around with dependencies, but yeah. it makes installing those dependencies a hell of a lot easier as well. It just cuts out the steps that you manually have to go and do stuff for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the original... Once you... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, original, the original one you didn't get to actually... You still had to manually, after it went and pulled the packages down and built them, you still had to manually go and install them. But I think in the later version you went in, uh, there was a line there where you could just actually install it from there as well. No, not actually, because what happened was I guess that they had some security um, people on the project, and they were like, you know, having the user run this package manager or this this browser and being able to just install it from here is a big, like, you know, it's kind of weird to have have this whole thing be sort of a, a 
a root, you know, application. So um, what they're doing is, especially with the new queue that um, that the new version has, or the newest version, there's yet another version coming out fairly soon. It'll, I, I imagine it will coincide with Slackware version 13. But the, the current version of SBOPKG, you can you can line up all your packages, get them in the order that you need them to be installed, so that you know the the dependency gets installed before the actual application gets installed, that kind of thing. You line it up, you save that queue, and then you get out of SBO PKG. You switch over to root, and then you run that queue. And so then it, it, it goes through that whole queue. So it's it's sort of you're still you're still kind of using the browser to make a decision list and then taking another step to actually install it. But that's so that that, that most of what you're doing is as a normal user, and you only have to drop down to root to get them to build and install. You know, so. Um, I I got a um, an IRC message from Chess after we talked yesterday, and he said that mm-hmm. in starting with point three, you will have to be root to run this, not just um, you know not as you won't be able to do this as a normal user. Uh, that's that's what he says in his thing. That's interesting. Is that what he said? I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't catch that. I, I thought that I didn't know that's the way they were going. But it kind of makes sense because if you think about it, I mean, this is all about installing applications in places other than your local environment. So yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of a root function. Right, and and also he is. If you know anybody, he is also looking for testers for the 0.30 package that he's doing. So he is looking for testers for it, for the SBO package, yes. Well, I was just emailing about uh, about it, and he didn't mention that to me. Yeah, matter of fact, it's on the the topic. Um, Go to that, uh, to the SBO package site, you know, the IRC channel, and you'll see it's on the topic. He changed the topic. And oh, okay. today, I believe it was earlier. Oh, okay. And he's coming out with a uh, a point three zero point zero alpha uh, that he needs testers oh, okay. for. So. Uh, I see it. I see it. Yeah. I wonder where you get that alpha. Probably on the Google code. Yeah. There's a Google code page I should have mentioned as well. I think it's Google code at whatever like dot com I guess, and then slash sbo pkg. But it's 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 hosted on the on Google code, so if you search in there for SBOPKG, it will pop up. Is it written in Python or Bash? Uh, it's actually written in Bash. Say there's a command line interface that you can use, or there's an incursive interface that you can use. So you can do it either way you want. Any more questions on that one? No, I just have a comment on it, though. Um, I did today. I mean, I hosed a system yesterday that I had on a newer machine, and I have an older, an older, um, small Pentium 3 uh, that I got. It's got like 512 mega RAM. It's a, a 700 P3, I think it is, that I did put Slackware on. And I today uh, installed GPotter with it. And it's real. I mean, it's nice because you can go to GPotter, do the README. Uh, it'll tell you what exactly files you need. I just wrote down the files, and then I went back to slackbuilds.org, and you can pick out those files, and you add them to the queue. And then when you get done adding all your files, 
and you know, and if any of those files have dependencies, you can add them in along with it. And then at the end, you can either build the whole thing, or you can. There's an option to build and install, which is really nice. I mean, I just hit the thing and went and had coffee, and it was just building away. And if you have an error, it will stop if there's an error, and it'll ask. It'll tell you that do you want to abort or do you want to continue on. And then when you're done, you have the option to save the queue just in case the package didn't. Um, say you had a problem with a package where you maybe you missed a dependency, you can go back and just run that package again from the queue. It, it's a great program. Yeah, and I probably, I probably should mention um, there's a, I mean, obviously there's the man page for it after you download it. I also did a how-to on um on, on the application itself uh, on my secret blog so I will post that link in IRC and maybe you can add it to the notes so if anyone needs like it's got a walkthrough and stuff like that uh, of how to use the, the application and I just updated it today to reflect all the changes for the uh, the latest version and I'll update it again once point three zero is released officially Sweet! Do you know if this works with the, the new 64-bit? Well, yeah, no, it does not, because SBOPKG, I mean, uh, slackbills.org does not have uh, 64-bit options yet. Now, since 64-bit is now official, one could assume that, um, that you know, the 60, uh, that Slackbills will start hosting 64-bit versions of, of Slackbills. So probably once that all happens officially, like the... Uh, version 15 of the Slackware, I would imagine everything's going to have, you know, it's 32-bit versus 64-bit options to it. Sounds like it's that Rotten Pom's bloody turn wants to be anyway now. Peter, that was uncalled for, Booby Ben. Oh, man. <laughs> well, since he's brought it up, go ahead, Zoak, your turn. All right, let me just quit for Stellarium and then I'll have a go. <laughs> I was like, shit, how do I get out of this? But all right, control Q. There we go. It went full screen on me, so. All right, so um, first of all, this is just a, a yay Linux quick story. Um, USB 3.0 is around the corner. It's going to do, I think, 5 gigabytes transfer rate. And guess which OS is going to be the first to support it? Linux, of course. Um, Sarah Sharp self-styled GeekS and Linux developer at Intel's Open Source Technology Center has been working on it for like the last 18 months. So I'm just going to say yay. Um, but I've been playing around a little bit with the Mozilla Firefox add-on collector where you can group a bunch of add-ons and then it has it all on a page and you can just click links and stuff. And, says, and I think there's an add-on collector add-on itself that you can load them all in. So it's really easy to set up if you want, uh, if you have some add-ons that you always run, and I do, there's, there's certain ones I always run, and you can go and have a look at them and then install them nice and easily. I'm going to paste the link there into IRC, but it's addons.mozilla.org forward slash n dash us forward slash firefox forward slash collection forward slash zoke. Um, and you can go to that page and it lists what it, well, I can add in whatever it, 
collections I want. But in this case, it's got no scripts, adblock plus, cookie safe, download status bar, tree style tab, and secure login, which I run on most of my things. I have various profiles on Firefox and I run these on all of them basically. So I think this is really cool. It's a way of nice and easily just packaging all your add-ons together into one big lump. So that's cool. Um, I don't know if anyone's got any comments about that, if anyone else is using it, but I think that's really cool. No, no comments at all. No, no. ACP is not on. He's not there to suck. Uh, sorry, in, he's in the booby bin, so he can't uh, hassle me at all. <laughs> I'd say this actually looks well, really I'm, cool, and I'll probably be doing one before the night is over. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's cool, because you can just... All the add-ons you like, you just stick together, and there you go. Um, I said there's an add-on... There's an add-on collector add-on itself, as it were. And... I'm assuming it makes it sort of one-click install all the add-ons, but I haven't played around with it yet. I only read about this a few days back and, and said set up my own one. But it looks um, quite cool for what it does. And as I said, you can then go in and, and set your own ones up. And, and they've got a bunch of, of ones sort of already. They've got, you know, developer ones and all this, you know, what have we got here? Uh... 814 under web development. Oh no, sorry, that's all the add-ons. But they've got they've got ones that bump a bunch of stuff in together. So if you're into doing web development, you've got ones that will measure the distance between it, so you can know what to set the RSS, uh, sorry, CSS up for, and colorzilla, so you know what the color is, and a bunch of other stuff. So you know, it would be kind of cool. Sorry, go on. What would be really cool? Yeah, what would be really cool is if they had a, uh, like, click here to install all in this con in this collection. Yeah, well, as I said, they've got um, a collections, the add-on collector add-on itself, which I assume has to do that because I can't imagine it does anything else, really, but I haven't installed that yet. Oh, I see. Okay, I, I see what you're talking about there. Yeah, but I mean the the page is nice. I just I just grabbed the Ad Block Plus off of the the link that you posted, and it installed right like just one click and it installed yeah. right into Steam Monkey, uh, no problem at all. Well, in fact, if me away from that page or anything. If we bear with me a moment, then well, I'll add on the add I'll add I'll <laughs> too many add-ons. Yeah. I will install the add-on collector add-on. <laughs> install now. Uh, ba -ba -ba, restart Firefox, and we'll see what that does. Because it's it makes sense that it just does a one-click install or lets you grab them. Because I can't imagine anything else that it would do, because all the add-ons are there on a single page. So, you know, what else is there for it to do really? All right, one new add-on collected. Oh, I had too many windows open. It's going to take a moment to load them all up. Welcome, first run. All right, so. Um, not obvious there. Is it under tools or something? I don't know. Right? It's not obviously going to help me here. I cannot spot an obvious add-on collector. Um, well, whether it does the one-click install or not, it is kind of, I mean, it's really handy to have them on one page. 
and then it does. It is nice that once you click it to install it, at least on SeaMonkey, it doesn't take you away from that page yeah. or anything. Yeah. So you can Hang on. on the list pretty quickly. All right, I got. To, I've got to set up my user ID and password for Mozilla to to log in and stuff. But uh, what you can do is if you if you're playing around with stuff, you can set up a, a one that you're playing around with, and then as you add or remove add-ons in Firefox, it automatically updates whatever. So whatever is you can have one for your profile, and then whatever profile, um, whatever profile, Firefox profile add-ons you have, wherever Firefox add-ons you have, you can then automatically update the website. Oh, that's cool. There's, there's an auto publisher settings. So if you're playing around with stuff and it's crap, and you remove it. Then it's still your page is instantly updated. So that's something for everyone to play around with, and we can discuss it next week. <laughs> we can talk about it on Cranks, and we can all talk about which ones we've got set up. But I think so. That's cool. That's something for you to play with. Um, and my second and final story is um, I mean, everyone knows about Tor. I presume everyone knows about Tor because obviously we all listen to Hacker Publicly Radio, and we've heard that guy talk about Tor on there. But there's a few more ones that have come out, and one that looks interesting is one called BitBlinder, uh, and it's a bitblinder.com, and it's meant to do the same kind of thing. But it, it you set yourself up as a node when you run it, and then you can only download. You know, you have to you have to have anonymous stuff routed through you before you can use it. You, there's a sort of percentage there. And it anonymizes everything. And in theory, because every person's now set up as a node, it makes it better than Tor, because Tor itself, if your exit node is uh, compromised, then you have no security. But supposedly the way BitBlinder does it, it's a lot better. Now, cool. what, it's all encrypted during the, the trip through the nodes? That's what it says. It's, let me uh, hang on. Let me try yeah, and get the about page or the fact. Okay, I was actually going to it. do this one, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. It what it does is it, it it's just like Tor, except for it's specifically for BitTorrent. Because if you do, oh, okay. Because if you do BitTorrent over Tor, you it tax the entire system, and your yeah. torrent downloads like crap. So this is. This is a, a separate system, so it takes the the load off of the Tor system, and then it, it you know it works as it has. They're doing some other stuff to keep your torrent running quickly, but they're they're being kind of dodgy about it. Well, it says on uh, the page I posted into IRC, uh, bitblinder.com forward slash learn forward slash overview. It does say here it supports both BitTorrent and normal web traffic with more applications coming soon. So it suggests, or maybe they're just saying that so they don't instantly get shut down because, you know, the only reason people use torrents is because it's evil and they're downloading illegal copies of Microsoft or whatever, or movies. I mean, I don't know about that, but, um, but it does say that it works on the normal website as well. As I said, I have not tried it at all, but it read about it uh, yesterday the day before or something and it looks interesting I mean they do say that you know it's not 
100% secure, you can't be 100% secure, whilst in theory it is, if a government or your ISP looks at it, they could probably figure out, well, this is what's going on, because that's one of the attack routes on Tor. You can look at, this, this person requested something, it went to this Tor network, and at exact, you know, a millisecond later, that one went to this one, and then this one went to this child porn site, and the only person that, based on time analysis, the only person that, you know, the child porn site only was requested when this guy was requesting stuff, so this guy must be the person. I've heard of various people attacking Tor that way. I mean, you need to be an ISP or a government or somewhere fairly big with the resources to do this. But So I don't know. I was going to read up more about it and see exactly how good it is and what's going on. But it looks cool. So I thought I'd let everyone know because I figure everyone's going to find that cool. But that's my last story. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I use uh, Transmission, and it has a built-in uh, IP blocker, but I don't think it would do as much as this one. I'd say it's one of those things you really want to do in layers. Yeah, you do the the only encrypted traffic, which you can do in most BitTorrent clients now, where they have to be encrypted or it won't even share at all. Um, and then you do the, the IP filtering and then run it through this, and... Uh, yeah, they're probably not going to realize that you're downloading public domain works just to try and piss your ISP off. Yeah, really, all I use BitTorrent for is to download Linux distros and legal movies and music. Yeah, I think most of the, the use I get out of BitTorrent is for ISOs as well. Yeah, I want to mention a couple things I found on Twitter this week. One is an ebook. It's called Linux... 101 hacks. Let me throw that in the IRC. It's a uh, 12 chapters, 140 pages. It's free. Uh, the author, he also is the creator of the geekstuff.com blog. I don't know if you guys ever checked that out. It's pretty cool. He's got a lot of how-tos on it, uh, news. It's a pretty good site. But anyways, the book you know, has different command hacks, uh, SSH, Apache, bash scripting, and a bunch of other hacks. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool book. The, the only thing is you have, when you go to the website, you have to uh, give him your email address, and then he sends you a password. But uh, the book is in public domain, so I'll just link directly to it in the show notes so you guys can download it without having to sign up. And the other website I found on Twitter, this is just people I follow, and they posted it. It's called uh, Lindesk. I'll throw that in the IRC, too. It's another uh, website with how-tos, and actually I'm posting stuff in the wrong IRC channel. That's why you're, you guys aren't seeing it. <laughs> Let me repost them. Yeah, Lindesk, it's, uh, Lindesk. It's, a, uh, it's a blog. It's got some how-tos. It's, just, it's, it's a pretty neat site. And I was going to talk a little bit about Fedora, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and let 3.30 go next, and I'll, I'll say Fedora and for the last story, if you're ready, 3.30. Yeah, I'm ready. So like I said earlier, I was going to talk about the thing that Zoke uh, pulled out from under me, which is fine. We're used to that by now. <laughs> but um, I guess uh, what I can bring up, if I haven't talked about it before, is a website called wakupa.com. It is a social network for people that use computers. Um, what, what they have is a, a little tracker application that you run and it's 
Windows, Mac, and Linux. They just actually got the Linux version running. Um, you just run this little tracker, and it looks at what you're running and just makes lists of stuff. And then you can go into the website and um, you get uh, metrics like, you know, how often do you use this type of application and um, you can do um, reviews and join teams and uh, it's really weird to explain. But it's, it's really cool to find out just what you're running and how often you're running it. I'll link that in the IRC. Does it generate pie charts and bar graphs for you of all of your wasted time looking at, like, uh, 4chan and stuff, or what? Well, um, right now, what it... Because it only does applications. So, like, when I'm sitting on IRC all day not doing anything, all it shows is right. that I sat in Terminator for six and a half hours. Right. Or, okay. you know, if I was surfing the web, it shows that I had Firefox open for, you know, ten hours. So it's not completely granular yet. Sure. Uh, there was an update to try and get um, what they were calling web apps, like um, YouTube and things like that. Things that have a like a like an application style interface to them. Mm -hmm. And I let them do that update on one of the computers, and we'll see how that goes. If it goes terribly, I'll pull it off the computer. <laughs> but um, yeah. If you go to uh, wakupa.com slash 330, you can see mine. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And um, one of the cool things is you can get the you know, the goofy badges for your blog or website. You can get those, and it'll show, like, your your last, your most, like, your five most used, your last five used, and your, uh, like, five overall or something. I can't remember if the... The exact ways it breaks it up. But yes, it's okay, just so a. If I have, go ahead. Right, so if I have like, if if I have a terminal window open all day in the background though, and maybe I go to it, you know, a couple of times here and there, is that going to show that I've been using? The it only it, it only sh it only tracks it when it's the active application, or do you know yet? Um, actually, right now it's kind of iffy. <laughs> Sometimes it notices that uh that you were losing focus on it, and sometimes it doesn't. They're doing a lot of patching trying to fix that, but for the most so, part, it... So it says here that you spend most of your time at http colon forward slash ilovelittleboys.com. Oh, Is that right? Booby Ben. That <laughs> 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 yeah, was uh, Klaatu's new uh, screenshot site. Do you want to join him in the bin? No, I do not, sir. Okay. God knows what he'd do to me in there. That was a little risky. So, yeah, this is the best thing I could pull out of my butt on such short notice, because Zoke's a wonderful individual and stole my plan. Don't worry, I've already lectured him, as everyone else only got one story, and he took three. He's in <laughs> trouble, don't worry. Right, Zoke. That's uh, a nice excuse when you come unprepared, anyway. Hey, I was prepared. <laughs> Anything else, 330? Um, no, not really. And that's okay to post in the uh, show notes? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right, Asmuth, what do you got for us? 
Well, I've uh, <clears throat> been noticing uh, some uh, some neat hardware that has showed up on the scene. Uh, one is uh, uh, MiFi. Uh, let me post a link to that. Uh, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah, try that one. Okay, what what it is? It's a it's a little gizmo. Uh, about the size of a credit card that uh, you can uh, shove in your pocket, uh, pack around with you as you go, and it uh, it has a 3G uh, uh, cell network on it, uh, as as well as uh, a Wi-Fi. Uh, you can uh, you can use up to to five machines on the Wi-Fi, or uh, if uh, you you want uh, total privacy on it? Uh, you can just use a USB cable, and uh, it disables the Wi-Fi. But uh, that uh, y you stop and look at that thing, and 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 what what it allows you to do. Uh, any anybody that's uh, that does a lot of mobile networking, uh, you end up with uh, cable strung everywhere, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you end up with uh, things plugged into your uh, your computer into your laptop that uh, uh, dongles and whatnot, and it it just kind kind of messy. And that, this cleans all that up, and uh, it's uh, well, it, it's it's deep from the standpoint that uh, you you don't really even uh, know you got it uh, with you. Uh, you you just have uh, Wi-Fi everywhere you go, uh, wh whether you're on uh, the the 3G or uh, or whether you're uh, in an actual hotspot. And uh, also, I've been noticing that uh, well, Verizon is the particular outfit that, that's doing this, but they've they've got an HP uh, netbook now with uh, you know that well you can uh, what they got two hundred dollars for it. Uh, you know, with a with a service plan, but uh, it has uh, a a 3G card built into it, which uh, is another thing for for cleaning up a, a mobile system. You you pack it around, you use the Wi-Fi in the netbook where you can, or you use your 3G where uh, where you don't uh, don't have a hotspot. It uh, I don't know. I've 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 been watching technology for for a long time and. Uh, this stuff's moving fast. Uh, the, it's just because you're old, as. Well, it, it is, but it's moving faster than it used to. <laughs> yeah, we certainly live in exciting and, uh, times, don't we? I mean, uh, kids these days can't believe that... Um, like, my daughter cannot believe that my, my parents grew up and didn't have electricity. She can't understand that. And, and just look what we have today for just TVs and that compared to what you had back in in the uh, late seventies, you know, or, or mid seventies. You had the old black and white bloody things. When I first got involved with computers, they they were the size of a washing machine, and uh, only businesses had them. And uh, they they had the computing power of a Casio uh, calculator. I had to explain. You know. To the, I had to explain to many Zuck what a record player and a cassette deck were. I didn't venture into 8-track <laughs> land. Yeah, I was going to say, what about an 8-track? I didn't uh, venture there. I was having a hard enough time trying to tell them what the other two were. 
of some of that's just scary. You talk about, you know, well, back before we had cell phones, we had, you know, phones on the corner that you could put money in and use. Before cell phones? Yeah, aren't they becoming he a doesn't rarity actually like that, obviously. pay telephone? Like yeah. About the only pay telephone you see these days outside a post office where once upon a time they were sort of on the corner of every block. Well, they, they took they don't away even have all the old... Um, anymore. They took all, away all the old uh, red public phone boxes that are very famous for being in England. And... Well, I read a statistic, I believe, that, that actually there's more red phone boxes le- uh, in Hollywood than there are left in the UK now, because they're all taken away. <laughs> I wouldn't some, doubt it. <laughs> on some booths, we don't, have, we don't have them on the street corners anymore outside, but they do have pay phones, like, inside buildings. Like, if you go into the local bar or something, there's a pay phone there sometimes. But you, you're right, you never see them out. Anymore, but even when you did, you had to be afraid of them. You never knew what you're going to find in the earpiece. There's the old story about don't go checking for change because someone will stick a needle in there and infect you with AIDS. Actually, I was thinking more of the um, chewed bubble gum in the earpiece. Yeah, yeah, that that too. But I was just saying that there was a story yeah, floating as, around. As getting back to your story. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> does, does anybody else think that that that? As in art, or just one split personality talking at intervals? <laughs> hey, I've yeah, got two microphones. I actually have an theory on this that I'll be posting later on. I, I think I'm going to win the Nobel it's Prize. It's called schizophrenia. And you're never alone with it. <laughs> yeah, well, but I, I, I have to carry that. on the most interesting conversations. As I seen that thing you're talking about at the Verizon store last week. And it's got a USB connection on it too, so you can plug it in and recharge it. Yeah, it uh, you you can uh, recharge the thorn thing out of uh, out of your netbook or, uh, or recharge it. Uh, well, I've got a mobile adapter for it, and uh, I, it just boggles my mind uh, where where this technology is gone. I mean, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that long ago that uh, mobile computing uh, for me uh, it included ham radio. Well, remember, I can remember the first cell phones, you know, the bricks. I mean, they were, and that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> hey, hey, I remember uh, the, now the first cell phones, uh, you carried them around, they, they were like a, a, a field phone. They, they they came in a box and the handset came out and stayed connected to the box. Again, so that it's immediately accessible. Clatter, you sound like you got your phone embedded under your skin. <laughs> I can't hear. He's got his phone somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a cordless phone, Clatter? Yeah. Is that a cordless phone? Yep, sure. Yeah, the battery's probably going dead. I charged it for like three hours in preparation for this call. But that's a good, that's a good working theory. I'll grab the back of the handset and see if that does better. Okay. <laughs> Jesus just said <laughs> Maxwell Smart had a shoe phone. <laughs> and that was amazing back then. Yeah. I, hey, that was futuristic back then. Uh, certainly was. Oh come on! No more than uh, 
Bond talking into his watch. Oh, well, Dick Tracy, I think, started that well before Bond. But Dick they, Tracy they had, go, had yeah. a watch oh. where he could receive pictures on it. Remember? In the old Dick Tracy cartoons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was clear back in the 60s or maybe the 50s. Uh, yeah, 50s even. Yeah. I think that Television was 50s, wasn't even yeah. that old. Then you had, uh, what's his name, flying around in his spaceship there. Who was that? Uh, George With Jetson. the strings hanging off it. Oh, no, no, Thunderbirds. No, no, no. no, even before that. Who was Cap- the... Captain uh, Scarlet? Who was the black and white? No, as what was the black and white... Uh, with Ming. Ming the Merciless. What was the... Flash oh, Gordon. okay. Uh, that was Buster, Buster Crab and uh, uh, what, what was it? that wasn't Buck Rogers. That was the other one. Uh-huh. It said Buck Rogers. No, that was Flash Gordon. Uh, Ming, right. Flash Gordon was Ming. Flash Gordon, yeah. yeah, yeah I said that earlier. Yeah. And that was back in the fifties. <laughs> Seriously, so Art right. is asking as I swear to God, it is a split personality. They call it schizophrenia. As and Art sound as much the same as Mrs. Oak and Zoke. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Peter, it's that desert air. Mm. No, it means Peter needs to put down the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> or pass it. It doesn't sound anything the same. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, don't be hogging the pipe, will you? <laughs> I'm thinking about taking it up today. Taking what up? The pipe, whatever the pipe is. <laughs> yeah, it's all that rainwater he's been drinking. It crippled him. Mm. The body don't know how to handle pure stuff. Well, they found out down the south, didn't you, 330, what pure stuff was. <laughs> pure hell. He found out what swamp water was. All right, Claude 2, test that phone out. Okay, testing, testing. Can you hear me any better? It's clear, but it's still low. Right. It's better than before, though. Yeah, okay. Weird. Well, don't be pushing the buttons on us now. <laughs> Was that the low battery beep? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That was Who a low battery indicator. Who are you or something? Wants to be? Yeah, I was waiting for Claw 2 to get his phone fixed. All right. I installed uh, Fedora, what was it, last week or week and a half ago, on that motherboard I talked about last time on Tit Radio. Uh, but the install... I in- well, I downloaded, well, I tried both the 32 and the 64-bit. I installed from the uh, live CD and the live USB. And the install is probably the easiest one I've ever seen. It couldn't get any easier than this. I mean, all you do is pick your time zone, partition your hard drive, and then it copies the live image to your hard drive. Yeah. It probably takes 10 minutes, I mean, all together. And then when you reboot... Then you uh, put in your, you know, for your root password, username, and all that stuff. And, I mean, you, then you're right into a working system. I mean, it's it's probably, it's easier than any distro I have ever installed. I went with the GNOME desktop, and and you get just GNOME the way it's supposed to be. There's no extra stuff added. I mean, it's very basic. I mean, the artwork is beautiful, but, but it's not bloated with a bunch of crap you don't need. But is it not bloated with... Some crap that a lot of people would want. If well, you know I mean, what I, mean. I mean, somebody's going to want something. They're going to install it, but I'd rather start with like a Debian install and just have the basics, and then add what I want to instead of having to take out stuff I don't want. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I do. Because I mean, that's the reason I run Arch. 
lately is because you get that get the absolute bare minimum and then go from there. But um, it, your typical user is going to want you know to be able to listen to MP3s and stuff like that. And from what I understand, Fedora has absolutely nothing like that in it. Well, yeah, it's a hundred percent free. I mean, everything's free software in it. You would have to add a, another repository to get you know stuff like MP3 playback and Flash. You know, the non-free NVIDIA drivers. Fedora uses YUM, doesn't it? Yep, it uses YUM, and it's... Uh, Very easy to use? Yeah, it's really easy. I, I would I would say it's probably, right now, equal to uh, apt. So, for a new user who's just installed it, say, come over from Windows, just wants to be able to listen to MP3s and, and watch Flash on YouTube, etc., uh, you don't have to add repositories or anything like that. It's easy to go in and install... Well, you, if you want to do stuff like that, you would have to add the uh, RPM Fusion repository. Once again, that's a pretty simple thing to do. Yeah, it's pretty simple to do. I haven't installed any on this system I'm looking at right now. It's 100% free. There's there's no Flash or MP3 playback or anything like that. But, yeah, well, from what you're saying, there's no validity to the to when people say that you know it's a pain and that there's no place for it because. You know, it's too hard to, for newer users to use it. Yeah, it sounds like none of that's true at all, and it's no different to a lot of other distributions out there. Well, all you need is AUG for the good podcasts anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a point. <laughs> well, you know, the um, one of the things that actually uh, someone in IRC had run into, they were installing it. Well, they were doing the KDE install. And they were having, like, all kinds of problems. And I couldn't see, I was trying to help them, you know, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was. And then it turns out, he mentioned some, he mentioned along the way that, um, you know, that his, that his DVD installer must be bad or something. And I was like, wait a minute, your DVD installer, there is no DVD install disk for the KDE version of Fedora. And it turns out he had gotten, you know, his ISO, his DVD ISO from some torrent site and I, I guess he must have gotten someone's respin of, you know, Fedora or something, because it was clearly not an official live CD, because the only KDE version Fedora offers is a live CD. They don't offer a, a live DVD or a DVD installer. So, you know, I mean, I don't know what some people review, you know, for Fedora, but if you're going to try out a distro that you're not used to, you certainly, well, any distro, really, but I mean, Certainly, if it's one that you haven't tried out before and you want to like kind of see if it's the right distro for you or whatever, you want to make sure that you're getting the official ISO image so that you're actually installing what is actually being put out there. That might that might be an issue for all I know. I, I always get the uh, checksum. Right. Yeah. And then whatever program I like, I use uh, what's that one in GNOME? I forget the name of it. Brasio? Is that the name of it? Yeah, Bracero. Yeah, that that one automatically checks it for me. Just speaking of that, it's the MD5 checksum that you're talking about, yeah. isn't it? How does that work? That's something I've never actually looked into. I'd be interested to just understand how it works. Yeah, someone ought to do a Hacker Public Radio episode about that. Well, I know there's programs to create it. Like, if you have an, an ISO, you just created one, you can create your own checksum for it. Right, it uses some kind of algorithm, mathematical algorithm that... that comes up with this funky-ass number and letter combination that's only, it's calculated like per per section of the of the uh, 
ISO or some. Steve Gibson did a uh, thing on that. All you have to do is type in core, uh, info core utils and then uh, in single quotes MD5 sum invocation and you can get all the information you would ever want on 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 MD5 sums and, and how you can you know create them and how to check them and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think it'll go into like the technicalities of how they're of how they're calculated, but it gives you a lot of information because it's on every Linux install. I mean, it's part of the you know the new utilities that that come on the system. And I I don't know if this is a pro or con, but for some people it's a pro. Uh, no mono is installed by default. Huge pro. And really, the only problem well. This is really not a problem. The only con I can see, maybe for some people, is SE Linux turned on by default. Did you have any issues with that, Monster B? Yeah, it seems like a lot of stuff I was trying to do, I was I was getting pop-ups, giving me warnings. Yeah, but those are just warnings, I think. Did, you, did they actually, per, like, were you ever hindered uh, from doing something that you wanted to do, like accessing your sound card or, you know, whatever? Uh, the only thing... Uh, uh, changing my CPU frequency from from a from a, a widget, it kept popping up saying that I couldn't do it, that I didn't have permission. But I mean, that's the only thing I I would say that would confuse a new user, is that being turned on by default. Because I think it's this is just my opinion. I think it's overkill for for a normal desktop. But you can go in there and turn it off. Right. I've never had issues with it. It's never blocked me from doing anything. But. But I don't do a whole lot of CPU scaling either, so what's that? But it's it's definitely uh, worth a try. I mean, I I really like it. I'm going to keep it on this one. Uh, the the only other problem I had is uh, when I would fire up Nautilus or any GUI file manager like PCMan FM, I couldn't access my home directory. It, it would pop up saying permissions for Monster B are unknown. Uh, it, it was kind of random. But after the after today, I, there was like a 32 megabyte update, security update, and I haven't had the problem since. So maybe it's fixed. Did you see this problem? What were you doing? Uh, I I I could I could not access my home directory from a GUI file manager. I could do it from the terminal, no problem. But if, when I would fire up Nautilus, it would just sit there and time out and say that permissions for Monster B are unknown. Oh, that's really weird. And I asked the question in the uh, the chat room, the Fedora chat room, because I thought maybe it was SE Linux, but they said it wasn't. Nobody really knew what the problem was, but but I'm hoping after this this last little update that they had today, it might have fixed it. Yeah, that never happened on any of the alphas or release candidates that I was trying, and it certainly didn't happen in KDE. I don't know. That that's an interesting one. Haven't heard of that one before. But see, it happened on two systems of mine. A 32-bit and a 64-bit, so it just wasn't that one computer. It happened on both, but hopefully it's fixed I'll, now. I'll blame GNOME. What's that? I'll blame GNOME. Yeah, it could be. Have you ever tried making a uh, live USB stick? Yeah, I have. It's yeah, that's great. it's really neat. Yeah. Yeah, because it gives you the option to put extra space on the uh, on your USB key, so you can like save things to it. And, so every time you plug it in, you get all your all your stuff back. Yeah, when I go on trips, that that thing saves my life because inevitably I'm going to visit a friend with a Windows computer, and I'll just boot right into you know Fedora, and 
and use their computer for whatever I need to do happily. Yeah, this is something I hardly ever use. You know, like on your hard drives, how you have that smart, you know, when it boots up the and the BIOS? Yeah. I, I forgot what it stands for, but, you know, it checks your hard drive to make sure it's healthy. Mm-hmm. When, when I booted into that live USB stick, it told me that one of my hard drives were dying, and it was. I mean, I, I knew it was going, but it was kind of neat how it popped up, and I could do a scan on it, t- told me everything that was wrong with it. It was, it was a TiVo oh. drive from... 2003, just trying to get some use out of it until I got a, a SATA drive for the system. Right. Yeah, well, that's cool. I've never actually seen a uh, smart warn me about anything until the thing goes dead, and then I look at it and says, oh, yeah, by the way, your hard drive is dead. But I had no idea it was included. You know, I don't know if it's an extra program or if it's something built into the kernel. I, I have no idea. I do not know. But uh, I don't know what other people are talking about. You know, there's a, another podcast that was just bad-mouthing Fedora, and I have no idea why. So it's a good operating system. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what they were talking about as well because I just couldn't figure out, like... I mean, the, the experience just sounds so surreally bad. I just don't understand, like, what on earth they could have been trying. That was why, I, like, the only possible thing I could think of was maybe they got some weird ISO from a torrent site of someone's, like, sort of weird hacked together respin of Fedora and we're trying that and failing miserably. Yeah, I mean I've used I've used the alphas and the release candidates and now the you know the actual release and you know obviously I use it at least once a day for for some major task. It doesn't seem to be unusable to me. And they really uh I mean package kit is it's perfect now. You just go to uh you know like in GNOME you go to system administration and then add remove software yeah and I mean it's couldn't be any easier yeah and the cool thing about package kit too is that they're integrating it a lot with the rest of the system you know so that it'll handle it'll recognize in any application that you're running if you don't have a codec installed it'll package kit will come up and offer you know the, that codec you know is available in the repository or a font that you don't have on your system, it'll detect that. And if the font is in your repo, it'll offer to install that for you, stuff like that. And they're hoping to expand that to even more, like, I don't know, dot .docs. If you don't have, for some reason, a text editor that will open a dot .doc, and you're trying to open a dot .doc, package kit should open up and say, hey, you know, what you could use is this package, OpenOffice or AbbeyWord. Would you like to install one of them? Yeah, I've only well, I used it a few times the uh, the GUI or you know package kit, but uh, like mainly I use Yum from the command line, and I notice package kit pops up at the top. You know when it's doing something. Have you noticed that it says? Uh, well, I forgot what it says, but it brings up package kit. So it, it must be like syncing or something with package kit, so I can yeah. everything's cached. Yeah, I don't know. That is interesting. I I never even noticed that. Yeah, it shows it right at the top before it does something, before it starts scrolling down. Yeah, from what I understand, the package kit maintainer is working pretty closely with Fedora, so maybe maybe he is integrating some of the package kit command line stuff with Yum. Yeah, and the main reason I wanted to try Fedora 11 is, is because of your interview with Paul Frills, mm-hmm. when he mentioned that Pulse Audio um, yeah. thing he's working on. What is that called again? He's going to call it Pulse Cast. I mean, that's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. 
dare say, a free and open alternative to something like TalkShoe. Do you know if that's open now for, for anyone, or is it still like kind of a, like it's, you know, just a, like an invite only? Well, the service is, is open to anyone. Like, you can call in and establish a conference room and, and you know, have SIP calls and dial-in numbers and stuff like that. So, what, you know, we're talking on TalkShoe right now. We could do that right now on talk.fedoraproject.org. Um, that's open. Like, I guess you probably have to register or something, but that's it. Right. Uh, his, the PulseCast itself, the application that'll sit on your local machine, uh, enabling you to record from all these different inputs and outputs and stuff like that, that's not, that's, that doesn't work yet, I guess. So he's still working on it. Monster B, you don't get to see the Plymouth uh, splash screen when Fedora boots, though, do you? I'm not sure. Okay, on the uh, on the 64-bit install I had, I know for a fact I didn't see it. But on the 32-bit with the Intel card, I guess this is the Plymouth screen. I don't know. Uh, Did you see like the sign of the planet? It, it's a Fedora logo. Yeah, that's that's the that's Plymouth. Okay, yeah, it's like a like a Fedora logo, and as it's loading, it's filling yep, in the so color that, of the logo. Yep, yep. But what about the sun and the planets and that? I thought that was Plymouth. That was Fedora 10. They, they oh, okay, so the, they've taken that out of this one. Well, no, they're just changing the animation that you get to see. Instead of a sun, you get to see the Fedora logo fill up, and then it, it kind of pops on with a little flash of light or something. Oh, okay. So it'll change every release. It'll be something different, probably. I like this one. I hope they just keep this one around. Nice and simple, you know, but cool looking. Now, you've been using Fedora since what? Uh, version 8? That's 8, yeah. Now, do you do a complete uh, fresh install every time, or do you just do an upgrade when you go from one release to another? Uh, I do just an update, but this time I did a fresh because um, I went from 32 to 64 bit this time. Oh, okay. So I'm using, I guess I'm using EXT4 now. So, yeah, everything kind of, I just did a, a big major update. I mean, a big major, re major reinstall. All you do is get a little squiggly bloody line going back and forth under the Fedora sign. No, that's not Plymouth. That's, that's, that's when you, that's... Well, that's, that's, according to that's, YouTube, that's, it is. Well, they're wrong. That's, X has already started at that point. That's after Plymouth has, has, has occurred. That's not well, this is this is straight after Grub. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's not. It is... Well, according uh, to this... I'll just post it. Yeah, go for just it. So you know. I can't watch it because I don't have Flash, but it, they're wrong. Trust me, I have it on my triple EPC, and it's... You, you see Grub, and then, and then it goes to a, a pale blue screen. It's got a little with white in the center, and it becomes the Fedora logo, and that fills up with white and then it flashes again and it becomes the proper logo. And then it goes to what you're seeing there. That's when X has actually started. Okay. Plus this is Rawhide. What's, which one is that? Is that 10? Well, yeah, 10. The, uh, so Rawhide is the next version. So that's like uh, Linny for Debian, or not Linny, uh, Sid for Debian. Rawhide is, is the next, you know, whatever the next release is going to be. They call it Rawhide. I really like that solar version they did. Yeah, no, that was great. But, I mean, I like this one, too. I like this actually better. It's just, it looks a little bit more, like, minimalist, but cool, but hip. Mm. Yeah, Peter, I've seen 
fedora boot with Plymouth, and that's not it. I think that's what happens if you don't have Plymouth. Maybe that's just what Rawhide includes. Yeah, because that would make sense because they probably don't have a Plymouth uh, theme designed for that yet. Mm. I would uh, videotape it for you, but you just have to try Fedora and look for yourself. Well, I was going to, actually, but now that they've got rid of that planet uh, one, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> I can send you a Fedora 10 disc, Peter, if you really want to try it, the one with the sun. Yeah. I'm really upset now. Well, if you went to self, you would have got the disc for Fedora 10 and Fedora 11. Well, excuse me, and I'd just like to, while we're on the subject of self, I'd like to say a big thank you to Pegwell and Snack Machine for sending me a little bit of self, because I now have all the Zeus and Novell stuff from self. Sweet. And I don't want the bloody fedora shit. (laughs) If it hasn't got the sun on it. If I had your address, I'd send you something too. (laughs) <laughs> no worries. But th- thanks. And, my, and little Miss 64, she thanks Pegwell and Snacky as well. Was there any Twinkies in that box? Not unless Novell made them. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know if you'd want Novell Twinkies. It'd have Bono. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that argument because I know nothing about it. But oh, I, I was talking about the thickness. If Microsoft and Novell had nothing to do with Mono, would people worry about it as much? Well, if Microsoft and Novell had nothing to do with it, it wouldn't exist. Yeah, but that's right. So, But if they, if someone else had written it, would it be such a big deal? I think not, to be honest with you. But You mean like Apple and Canonical did it? Well, yeah, let's, let's say Canonical did it, not Apple. I, I often wonder whether it would be such a big deal. I don't think it would be as big of a deal, but I think that's big of that's big enough of a deal that 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 is the Microsoft technology that people are just running to adopt for like no apparent reason, for no good reason. Yeah, but do it's the same reason people run to Microsoft anyway because they're that's all they know. They're they're like animals led to slaughter. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. Anything else before I wrap it up? Anyone? No, not for me. Yeah, put a bow on it. Stick a fork in it, it's done. <laughs> All right. Get to the beans, I Roll it out the door. Um, before I wrap it up, I just want to mention that the uh, How I Found Linux series is still going strong. So if you want to send an audio clip, you can just send it to monsterb at linuxcranks.info or send it to feedback at titradio.info, it doesn't matter. And I'm sitting on a few now. I need to get these out, and I haven't had a chance to reply to these guys. But uh, Weirded Out, Linux Fan Dan, Oscar, Eddie, and Guitar Man, just want to say thanks for sending them in. I'm sorry I didn't reply back to you. And uh, speaking of Guitar Man, he was on uh, the Open Source Musician Podcast. Did you guys hear that? He was uh, interviewed on there. It, It was a pretty good episode. Oh, yeah, I listened to it today. It was very good. Very, very good episode. So uh, get over there and uh, download that one. And uh, Monster B, did you did you talk about the Ham Shack last week? Uh, I think that was a couple weeks ago. Okay, because I, I just want to uh, reiterate the fact that they, those guys do a really good show, and it it's got a lot to do with Linux, and it's well worth listening to. Yep, it is. And uh, 
And uh, we need feedback for this show. So if you guys could please send us some it feedback. It sucks. Already gave you some oh, feedback, but I'll get sent to the bin. Whenever that pump speaks, it's Hold crap. Hold on. Zoke is in the bend. Yeah. That's crap. So send us some feedback at titradio.info. And uh thought I was going to have a special song tonight, but I don't. It's not ready. So any requests? I would love to hear a song about a mower <laughs> and a poor bloke reading a letter. Oh, jeez. That one again? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I like oh, that come one. Come on, Peter. Well, he, he requested, so I'm going to go ahead and play it, and I'll talk to you guys next week on Lennox Franks. See you. All right, good night. Good night, everybody. Night, everyone. <laughs> good night. Hold on, let me get Zoke out of the bench so he can say good night. Let me everyone say it. Good night. Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter. The more I think about it, I'm feeling a whole lot better. The way she stayed on my case, it won't be hard to forget her. Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter. She didn't like the simple life, living on the farm. All I wanted was a wife to hold in my arms. She never liked my tractor, I didn't like her mouth. I'm headed to the back 40, she's heading south. Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter. The more I think about it, I'm feeling a whole lot better. The way she stayed on my case, it won't be hard to forget her. Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter. She always liked the country club, highfalutin' cry. I had better things to do, like pulling a plow. Now she's history, since I read my mail. I guess the chemistry has gone straight to well. Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter. The more I think about it, I'm feeling a whole lot better. The way she stayed on my case, it won't be hard to forget her. Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter. Although she's gone. Still got plenty Still got the farm and the 4020 Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter The more I think about it, I'm feeling a whole lot better The way she stayed on my case It won't be hard to forget her Sitting on my John Deere, reading a dear John letter Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.